Hello and welcome to this download from Blackwell Online. My name is George Miller, and my guest today is Alain de Botton, author of a string of best-selling books, from How Proust Can Change Your Life and the Consolations of Philosophy, to the more recent Status Anxiety and the Architecture of Happiness. In his new book, Alain turns his attention to the activity which occupies most of our waking hours, work. In a sequence of chapters that cover a host of different occupations, from rocket scientist to career counsellor, he examines in his inimitable style what we seek from work, what we invest of ourselves in it, and what it gives us in return. I asked him first what impulse had set him on the trail of the pleasures and sorrows of work. I think one of the impulses was just how little the world of work gets uh, an appearance in most works of certainly fiction and even a lot of non-fiction in, in Britain today. And if you go to the front of most uh, bookshops and you read most of what's on offer, you'd think that people never went to work. All they seem to spend their time doing is know, falling in love, squabbling with their families and maybe murdering somebody. So the, the, the idea that actually what we tend to do is sleep and work seems to have passed many writers by. I think there's a real division between the world of writing and the world of what you could broadly call business. Of course, business does make an appearance in business books and in the financial pages of newspapers, but the tone is then a particular sort of tone. So I wanted to write a book that was, for the general reader, that was discursive, personal, evocative, uh, sensory about the workplaces of the modern world. And one of my key inspirations was actually a children's book by the children's author Richard Scarry, who wrote this wonderful book called What Do People Do All Day, which is just divided into chapters and it explains where stuff comes from. You know, you, you have uh, wood pulp and um, electricity generation, etc. And I thought, well, what I really want to do is to write an adult version of this book. Having identified that interest, how did you then decide which stuff you were going to pursue because you, mm. you pursue various tags mm. in the book. So how did you come up with that list? Partly I wanted to write about the sort of jobs that are prevalent in the modern world but that don't get much airtime. So you know, if you watch TV, you hear a lot about what it's like to be a doctor or a lawyer or a criminal. But if you're not considering any of those job options, you know, very rarely on TV do you see anything about the world of accountancy or the world of logistics. So I, I picked jobs that, that sat squarely on the theme of sort of the modern world and how it works, but that weren't immediately obvious, weren't immediately going to be immediately obvious or familiar to everybody. So I wanted to surprise myself and surprise the reader with the complexity, strangeness, unusualness of these jobs, which are omnipresent, but as I say, don't get much focus. One of the striking characteristics of the book is that it's got illustrations all the way through. It's got a black and white photographs. How did they come about? How were they integrated into the project? Well, in a way, the book is a piece of reportage, and it felt important to, in a way, take, become a witness, not just in words, but also with images, of what I was seeing. I'd, I'd met a photographer a long time ago who said, you know, if ever you want to do a project, you know, here's, here's my number, and I'd forgotten all about him, and then suddenly remembered, and we travelled together. It was a wonderful thing to do, to, to really build the book as a photo essay. I, I was thinking back of those um, early Granter issues, which melded the photo essay with the essay more generally and it, it just doesn't seem to get done very often in newspapers obviously you've got one picture or two pictures but to really let the pictures spread out across the uh, the, the text and uh, make it a union of the two that was a that was a fun challenge for me one word which comes up quite early in the book i think is connectedness mm. and its opposite dislocation and it seemed to me that that was very important to you to try and see how things fitted together because there's a countervailing impulse for things to be atomized and taken apart in the modern world of work. 
That's right. I mean, 200 years ago, you would have known where stuff came from. You would have known where your food came from. You would have known where your furniture came from, who made your clothes, etc. We were connected normally by human relationships with the people who uh, made stuff. And I think a feature of the modern world is we don't know at all. We just don't know where stuff comes from, be it our food, our clothes, our furniture, etc. And from that ignorance, I think, comes feelings of guilt, feelings of disconnection, alienation, and also a loss of a feeling of wonder, because one of the most wonderful things you can do is to look at people working and think about people working. So I wanted to try and make those connections and go on some journeys which would deliberately reconnect us imaginatively with our goods. One of the journeys you make early in the book is in pursuit of a new biscuit. Mm. I wonder, did that restore a sense of wonder or did that bring up this this disparity which comes up quite often in the book between the sort of amount of energy and effort invested in something compared to the, the, end, the end result, which is a biscuit for, you know, aimed at a particular mm. demographic of housewives? I think I wanted to look at something which is very um, a very widespread feature of the modern world, which is, as you say, that um, discrepancy between the size of industries, the number of people employed, uh, the huge revenues that are generated, and the ultimate meaning or purpose of the particular product that comes out of it. And so I was I was drawn to this company, uh, United Biscuits, which is the largest biscuit manufacturer in the UK, and they're second in the bagged nut market. And so they're a huge conglomerate employing many thousands of people. Uh, and yet at the end of the day, they're making the sort of thing that in a pre-industrial age, uh, you would have made in your home and uh, you, you know, would be the work of an afternoon. But now, of course, it's the work of a lifetime. And you get people who do only one particular feature of uh, that work. So, you know, I met up with packaging technologists and uh, met up with uh, data systems analysts, all these people who whose jobs, you know, you don't understand them at first because they're so specialised. And I wanted to explore that whole issue of specialisation and what it does to us. There's a wonderful moment in the biscuit factory where you describe the quality control process and there are two women and you say that you'd say they're almost like they're playing drafts as they, as they watch these pieces, which are biscuits, flying in front of their eyes. But the most inspiriting thing about that is the fact that they're having a conversation and somehow normal human interchange is going on between them, even though this, the process of their job is actually rather dull and over-specialised and boring. There's ultimately probably no such thing as a totally boring job because we bring to our jobs the whole of ourselves. And what's fascinating about looking at even quite dull, supposedly dull jobs, call centres, factory production lines, warehousing, etc., is how much life there is in these places and how much humour, black humour may be, uh, but, but real social interaction. And I think that you know, when people lament unemployment and home working, really what, that, what unemployment and home working remind us is, is just how much it's the social aspect of work that, uh, that, that makes work meaningful. Expectation is another key concept in the book. You talk about how before the modern age, really, we didn't really have much expectation of getting satisfaction from paid employment. They were almost like opposites. And yet now we have very high expectation of self-fulfillment from work. And when you go to embed yourself with an accountancy firm, there's a sort of juxtaposition there between, I suppose, your expectations of fulfillment as a writer versus their expectations, which, and you compare them, I think, to taxi drivers. You know, they, they do their job, they turn up, they're for hire, and it's done, and they're on to mm-hmm. something else. And I wonder if you'd say a little bit about that, because that, that, those expectations can obviously be 
pr- pr- productive of both the, the, the joys and the miseries of work. Well, I was struck really by um, a very basic difference that exists between people. There are certain people who want their work to add up to something that you can see, hold, touch at the end of the day. They, they, they want their efforts to, to be directed towards something very tangible. And then there are others who are much happier just to enjoy the process. And they don't mind if there's not an end product who say taxi drivers, but also accountants. You know, the, I, I went to spend time with this firm and they were on the whole a much happier bunch than writers. And one of the themes is I do often contrast my own choices with the choices of the people I make, uh, I, I meet. And I found that these uh, accountants were, were able in a way to, to tolerate the fact that they would just be employed on a certain project for a month or six months or something. And then they would leave that project, nothing would be left of it, and yet um, that was okay for them. It was an almost kind of Buddhist renunciation of the ego. They were prepared to not put themselves right at the centre of their work. And as I say, writers at the other end of the spectrum, a miserable bunch who are constantly thinking, you know, me, me, me. Uh, and that probably is a way to unhappiness. So I was struck by that. You meet and, and talk to a painter who specialises in painting one particular tree at all different times of the year and in different lighting conditions. Was he the most fulfilled person that you found? I mean, he was one of probably the, the least remunerated, but mm-hmm. was he, Was he? would you say, a fulfilled worker? Um, I wanted to look at an artist, because that's in a way the, the area that I come from, but I didn't want to look at a writer. So I found this guy who's really quite extraordinary. As you say, he does paint the same tree in, in a field in Essex, and he's very much driven by almost a kind of calling to do this. And he suffers for his, for his work in a way that others uh, don't necessarily in, in this book. He fascinated me because... He really was an example of someone who's doing something uh, because he's almost got a sort of itch, as it were. He's got to get something done. And it's, it pushes aside all sorts of other quite sensible considerations for status, prestige, money, etc. So he, he's not aware of his choice as a sacrifice as such, but I think it is. And as a parent, for example, one couldn't help but feel, I hope my child doesn't have that sort of itch, you know, in a way, because it's, it's wonderful, it's noble, etc. But it, it comes at such a high price. I really liked what you had to say about the erotics of the workplace, mm. um, which you compare to a, a, a monastic order or, or something like that in a pre-modern world. Yeah, I mean, we, we very much pride ourselves on how relaxed we all are about sex. That's very much something that the modern world um, likes to do. And we, we contrast ourselves with Victorians and giggle at their prudish aspects. But you only have to look at a company a manual about sort of employee rules to realise that there's still quite a lot of prudishness. And I work, I spent time in this large accountancy firm that had rules against any kind of contact with another co-worker. And the punishments were draconian uh, leading up to being fired for any infringement of this. And um, it struck me that this is characteristic of the modern world of work, this kind of taboo about sex. And I think that the, the taboo is there really for one reason, which is to repress the thought that it might be more fun to have sex than to work. Uh, so the modern corporation is a jealous animal. It reminded me of the church in the Middle Ages that was similarly jealous. It wanted people to think about God. And so sex was competing with thoughts of God, and that's why it had to be repressed. So repression of the sexual impulse seems to be a feature both of the modern office and the medieval monastery. But of course, in the nature of these things, when you repress something, it also comes back with a uh, extra force. So there's a sort of hidden erotics of the workplace, as indeed there was a hidden erotics of the monastery and the nunnery. I wanted to ask you finally, Alain, if having researched and written this book, your own sympathies were enlarged perhaps towards 
groups of people or professions that you hadn't felt sympathy before and how it, how it had sort of changed you and your attitude to work? I think it's, it's helped me to connect much more with industrial civilization, if you like, uh, that's all around us. And I think that, as I say, the, the writerly cast is a little bit stuck in its own ivory tower. I understand the world of publishing very well, but I, don't, I never really understood fully the world of you know, logistics or accountancy or whatever. So uh, I think it's, it's a feature of the modern world that we don't know enough about what other people do. And it was a ter- the writing of the book was a terrific chance just to be nosy about other people's jobs. And I think it's one of the most interesting things you can do. You know, we, we do tend to ask each other what we do for a living very early on in a conversation, but often we're not allowed to probe too deeply for fear of seeming nosy or whatever. But um, to know what somebody does at three o'clock in the afternoon and how their day is structured is absolutely fascinating. So trying to turn the world of work into uh, an arena that could be fascinating, just as fascinating as a love story. That was my goal in the book. 